Welcome back to the Global Greek Influence, the podcast that takes you on a journey through the dynamic world of global Greeks in the realms of technology, cutting-edge scientific and engineering innovation, entrepreneurship and business, also special topics on politics and history. I'm your hostess, Panayoto Pimenidou, and I'm thrilled to have you join us once again. If you want to stay updated and never miss an episode, make sure to subscribe, like and review the Global Greek Influence podcast on your favorite podcasting platform such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts and more. Your support means the world to me. For even more engagement, be sure to follow our podcast's Twitter account, Facebook page and LinkedIn page. It is the best way to stay up to date with the latest episodes, connect with me directly and even suggest topics you would love to explore. But wait, there is more. For just €2.99 a month, you can unlock a world of exclusive content. By becoming a premium subscriber, you will gain access to exclusive video episodes available only on Spotify, get sneak peeks of upcoming interviews and enjoy special episodes that dive deep into fascinating topics. So get ready to immerse yourself in the captivating stories and influential figures that have shaped the global Greek influence and impact the world today. Join us on this exciting journey of discovery and celebration. Thank you for being part of the global Greek influence community. The challenges in aerospace towards energy transition and net zero emissions include the development and implementation of sustainable aviation fuels, improvements in aircraft design and efficiency, and the integration of new and emerging technologies. One of the biggest challenges is the development and implementation of sustainable aviation fuels that can reduce carbon emissions. While biofuels and hydrogen are promising alternatives, their production and distribution infrastructure are not yet fully developed, making them economically unfeasible compared to traditional fossil fuels. Another challenge is the improvement of aircraft design and efficiency, such as reducing weight, aerodynamic drag and engine performance. This requires significant investments in research and development of new materials and technologies. Furthermore, the integration of new and emerging technologies such as electric and hybrid electric propulsion systems, as well as advanced air traffic management systems, will be crucial in reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the aviation industry. Achieving net zero emissions in the aerospace industry is a complex challenge that requires a multifaceted approach involving technological advancements, policy changes, and collaboration among stakeholders in the industry. We dedicate today's episode to achieving cleaner skies with smart sensors, a less common approach to innovations in aerospace technology whose public domain focus has been primarily around biofuels, hydrogen and air propulsion systems. Alexandros Gerakis is a Senior Research and Technology Associate at the Luxembourg Institute of Science and Technology LIST and a 2021 FNR Attract Fellow. Prior to joining LIST, he was an Assistant Professor at the Aerospace Engineering Department at the Texas A&M University, leading the Optical Probing and Manipulation Group, and where he remains an Adjunct Professor an associate research physicist at the Princeton Plasma Physics Laboratory, while he held a postdoctoral position at Harvard University. Alexandros holds a PhD in physics from University College London in the UK, a master's degree from St. Andrews and Harriet Watt Universities in the UK in photonic and optoelectronic devices, and a BSc from the School of Applied Mathematics and Physical Sciences at the National Technical University of Athens in Greece. 
Alexander's research focuses on the development of advanced laser concepts for particle manipulation and diagnostics with numerous uses in neutral and plasma flows, nanotechnology, propulsion, quantum optics and fundamental atomic, molecular and optical physics. Over the years, his research has been funded by the NSF, DOE, ONR and NASA in the USA and the FNR in Luxembourg in Europe. Welcome to the show, Alexandre. Very nice to be here. You're welcome. The aviation industry is responsible for a significant and growing proportion of global greenhouse gas emissions as aircraft burn large amounts of fossil fuels. These emissions contribute to climate change, which can have devastating impacts on the environment ecosystems and human societies. Why does the aerospace industry have to improve combustion efficiency and reduce emissions in aircraft engines before moving toward more environmentally friendly fuels? And of course, this can be a personal opinion too. Yeah, of course it is a personal opinion. I'm not working in the airline industry. However, uh, you know, when I was used to teach aerodynamics at the university, one example I was always using was the uh, what's called the can- uh, the kangaroo route. So that's the route, how many flights you needed to take from Sydney to London in 1955. And it used to take like 55 hours to fly from Sydney to London in uh, in the 50s. Nowadays, Qantas is launching London to uh, Sydney to London in 17 to 18 hours. So that, that demonstrates that A, the air, the airline, the the aeronautical industry has done great leaps forward in the last seventy years, but also it shows the way into how we need to proceed forward. So, for example, uh, the the first thing to consider is that we are never gonna stop progress. So, the idea is to not you know not to be flying less, but to be flying more efficiently. So, by flying more efficiently, mean means being able to carry more people towards one destination. That's uh, the A380 was a great example of that. But also being able to do so much more efficiently in terms of uh, how many fuel we burn and everything. So uh, so clearly, you know, uh, as I always say, just saving 1% from an aircraft can have a huge impact on the environment and everything. Clearly, the, uh, this is a multifaceted problem where the airline industry, the aeronautical industry has to look into materials for airplanes, has to look into uh, how to combust uh, more efficiently, how to move more efficiently, how to feed more people and more cargo in uh, bigger planes, you know, and all these things. So, you know, it's a, there's not a single answer to that problem. It's a very multifaceted one, but clearly uh, we are moving forward and we are going to keep on moving forward. And that's very encouraging. You are known for your work as a researcher in the field of plasma and laser physics. You have conducted research on topics such as laser diagnostics development, laser matter interaction, and four-wave mixing, and have been awarded the FNR Attract Fellowship for your contribution to the field. Four-wave mixing can be used for the development of advanced sensors, for example, in the detection of gases and other substances as in the combustion of fuels. How could the development of advanced sensors transform the space industry? So that's a great question. So in my lab, we indeed use forward mixing and uh, in a single laser shot uh, for the di- to diagnose gas, gas flows and plasma flows 
above air flow is uh, above any type of structure actually. Uh, and we are able to thermodynamically characterize those flows. That means that we can characterize flow velocity, temperature, uh, density of gases and everything. Now, uh, it doesn't mean that in the end of the day, we're gonna install such sensors into each airplane. Instead, what that means is that uh, this is gonna inform and uh, validate models that you know Airbus or Boeing are developing or NASA or ESA or whomever uh, for the flow of their models. So that means that we are incorporating our laser diagnostics into wind tunnels. Actually, we are building a wind tunnel currently in my lab. Uh, we're incorporating laser diagnostics into wind tunnels to inform us about what is the best um, shape that an airfoil can have, um, a re-entry spacecraft can have, anything can have, so that then we can go back to the models that predict the performance of these, uh, of these bodies as they flow and uh, make them better, more efficient, you know, save fuel, protect uh, the people inside them and all these things. Nanoparticles are tiny particles that range in size from 1 to 100 nanometers and have unique physical and chemical properties. Nanotechnology is the study and manipulation of these individual atoms and molecules to engineer materials and devices at a nanoscale. Nanotechnologies today use in a wide range of fields, including medicine, electronics, energy, and material science. In medicine, for instance, nanoparticles are being investigated for drug delivery and imaging applications. In electronics, nanoparticles are used in the development of faster and more efficient computer processors and displays. In energy, nanoparticles are being studied for use in solar energy and energy storage systems. In material science, nanoparticles are used to improve and strengthen and increase the durability of materials and coatings. On the other hand, multifunctional nanomaterials are those that we want them to have more than one function or property as for example, an ability to deliver drugs to specific cells while also being able to serve as a diagnostic tool. The development of multifunctional nanomaterials has opened up new fields of research and innovation, allowing scientists to explore the potential of these materials to solve complex problems by serving several scopes for the same purpose or one scope with multiple purposes, as in improving the efficiency and performance of different electronic devices and energy systems. How can a tabletop laser technique transform the synthesis of multifunctional nanoparticles? Uh, yeah, that's, a, okay. that's another open-ended question, uh, because it's not an easy answer. So, uh, indeed, uh, nanoparticles ranging actually from atomic size, even, you know, conglomerates of 10 atoms can one can consider as nanoparticle uh, uh, are being built are being uh, created and studied and used in a variety of uh, fields however there is no clear understanding in how these nanoparticles are being made are uh, usually my understanding is that Nanoparticles are being evaluated ex situ. Uh, usually, material scientists create them, uh, just use a, a recipe, create them, and they just um, see ex situ what they did and then go back to doing that. The problem with that is that practically the machine that creates the nanoparticles is a black box. We can only see the input and the output. We don't see what happens in situ 
why nanomaterials are being formed, are being uh, so that we can we can literally elucidate the processes and understand what uh, these entail. So uh, indeed, uh, that was part of uh, when I was working at Princeton Plasma Physics Lab. That was a project where indeed we created a debutop laser technique to be able to in situ study the nanoparticle formation uh, within arc discharges and arc discharges are used to create nanoparticles. Of course, that doesn't mean that we can only stop at arc discharges. It can be any type of, of any type of nanoparticle uh, creating machines, as long as these nanoparticles are being uh, created in the volume rather than on the surface. So uh, what the, I, similar to the aerospace stuff, uh, what then what the laser techniques can offer uh, is shedding uh, uh, light, uh, pun intended, on uh, how nanomaterials are being formed. What are the mechanisms that lead to nanomaterial forming? What is the evolution of nanomaterial forming? What are the different controls and knobs that we can use? To you know, create prescribed nanoparticles. And for the moment, what happens is that we use a recipe. A bunch of nanoparticles are being formed. It's not like they are monodispersed. They are actually they have all types of uh, properties. So the idea is to uh, again shine light into what are the mechanisms that could allow us to create a single type of nanoparticles to be used for different applications, uh, be it multifunctional or not. But uh, practically, the problem is that currently we do not understand the mechanisms that uh, lead to nanoparticle formation. That's very interesting because in many, many fields, uh, they try to develop nanoparticles for different purposes. At the same time, there is a significant amount of research on light matter interactions in various fields, including quantum electrodynamics, chemistry, and material science. These studies explore different aspects of the interaction between light and matter. The aim of light-matter interactions research is to better understand the fundamental physics behind light-matter interactions and to develop new applications for these interactions in areas such as sensing, imaging, and quantum computing. What are the future light-matter interaction fields you find most challenging and why? Uh, that's again a good question because uh, what happens is that I, I mean, I, my studies is in atomic molecular and optical physics. I did a lot of quantum stuff myself. My my biggest issue with how science is being conducted today, and especially how we use light matter interaction for things, is that we concentrate too much on quantum things. Uh, while we are neglecting classical systems. And if you think about it, our life is classic, is more classical than it is quantum. And there's a lot of things we don't understand in the classical uh, side of things or in the quantum. Actually, if I'm honest, I think that we understand more in the quantum aspect than in the classical currently. So I, what my research line does is actually using quantum effects, which is light-matter interaction, to explain classical problems that we do not understand. One of them, and I always use that as an example, is you know turbulence, how you transition from laminar into turbulent flow. And we haven't got a clue about why that happens. And if we are able to control that uh, and understand that, then we're going to be talking about massive increase in 
uh, inefficiency in a thousand of sectors, ranging from the aerospace to, for, you know, to even how your cars move, even to how mayonnaise flows out of the uh, container. So uh, I find that uh, a understanding classical phenomena uh, like that is something that we should not be neglecting. Uh, I do understand that quantum sounds more appealing and more exotic, but classical phenomena should not be neglected. And one area where I'm particularly drawn into these days is uh, fusion. And uh, if you look into how uh, people have started understanding that fusion is going to be the answer to our energy problems, we are currently using the exact same diagnostics as we did 70 years ago. Uh, actually, not 70, 60. Uh, but yeah. Um, so this is something where I can see black matter interaction playing a big role because there's no other tool to understand what's going on in these systems. Researchers today have a multidimensional role. They are scientists, team leaders and managers, fundraisers, negotiators and innovators, among others. What would you like to see getting improved in your field? You know, the problem, you're absolutely right. You, we are all these things nowadays. The problem is that we are being trained to only be good researchers, not to be working in the lab, not to be managing people, not how to attract funds, not uh, how to manage our own research, blah, blah, blah. So uh, definitely one thing that should be given more attention to in grad schools these days is, you know, uh, of course, you need to get your PhD, you need to move on with that, but also... Uh, people should start being trained into uh, how to manage people, how to manage funds, how does research work, communication. Um, a lot of my uh, colleagues are neglecting communication and there's no science without communication. Uh, that's why we're going to conferences. And, you know, for example, now that I said conferences, people go to conferences, they just give their talk, present their poster and don't interact with anyone. This is clearly wrong. We should be talking, we should be discussing, we should be discussing, we should be uh, communicating our science and exchanging ideas and everything. So uh, I think that what should happen is that uh, people should be more trained uh, in the other areas of science rather than uh, science just itself. Um, well, I'm your woman for this job. This is what I'm suggesting through the services I offer that PhD candidates or even those who have a PhD and who move on to a postdoctoral position or they seek to move to the industry, they can be trained in how to develop transferable skills during their PhD, during their postdoc or soon before acquiring their PhD. Uh, and of course, if there is a space, in uh, research centers or in universities and find out mm -hmm. how this works out. One final question, Alexandre. We see countries acting as dynamic hubs of research and innovation today. Some of these factors that actually determine how these countries become dynamic hubs for research and innovation are factors uh, such as the need to address social and economic challenges through research and innovation, the role of power dynamics in promoting or inhibiting innovation and the development of regional ecosystems that support innovation. Additionally, we see that countries and organizations are committing to or investing in specific initiatives. Despite its small size, Luxembourg, 
has demonstrated a commitment to research and innovation. The country is investing in research and development with the goal of advancing knowledge and developing innovative solutions to challenges related to its economy, society and environment. Luxembourg has also established numerous programs and initiatives to support research and innovation, including the Luxembourg National Research Fund, NRF, which provides funding for scientific research, and the Luxembourg Institute of Science and Technology, which focuses on developing innovative technologies in fields such as energy, materials, science, and environmental research. What can the global research and innovation community learn from a small country like Luxembourg, which is leading in these areas? I have to say I have been in Luxembourg for the last two and a half years, and I have been super happy to be here. As you mentioned, uh, I am an attract fellow uh, for the uh, FNR, and I have other uh, grants with them. And I work at least, and uh, I have benefited largely from the country's uh, uh, devotion to research and developing um, a very nice environment for researchers worldwide, coming from worldwide. So uh, one thing I have noticed uh, that I really like about how Luxembourg operates is the fact that they uh, they are strategic. Uh, they do sit down, uh, understand what they need to do. They do their due diligence. Uh, in Luxembourg, for example, we have the national research priorities. So uh, because such a small place cannot afford to do everything in science. So they do define um, what they think would be beneficial for them, and they back it heavily and uh, with uh, resources, with time, with money, uh, anything that they need to do in order to make it happen. And that's actually uh, the logo of the country, let's make it happen, which I find a very positive logo, uh, motto. And uh, similar, you know, I did my master's in Scotland, and I do consider Scotland to be somewhat its own country. Scotland as well did a similar type of study, and they defined uh, astrophysics and photonics to be their national priorities, and indeed, Scotland leads the world in this type of uh, research. So, uh, what you know, what I see is that uh, not only does an entity, be it a country, an institution, or anything, uh, not only do they need to be strategic, to be to really understand what their needs are, what they can back, how can they move on. Uh, but also not expect, you know, uh, results yesterday or fast-paced results because these things take some time to develop. Uh, invest in people, invest and support people and help people grow because if you help people grow, then everything will grow. Um, so, yeah, um, and no, you know, the will to make things happen. Thank you, Alexandre, for accepting my invitation to speak to the Global Creek Influence podcast about the development of advanced sensors and nanotechnology highlighted as technologies that could transform the aerospace industry about plasma and laser physics in the synthesis of multifunctional nanoparticles in light matter interactions, the need for continued investment in research innovation with a focus on strategic priorities and perseverance in problem solving, the work being done in countries like Luxembourg, is also highlighted as an example of successful strategies for promoting research and innovation.
it was definitely my pleasure. Um, uh, anyone who is interested in our work, they should feel free to contact us via our uh, social networks and our website. Thank you all for staying until the end. Subscribe, follow, and leave a review to show your support and spread the podcast message far and wide. Thank you for being part of the Global Quick Influence Podcast family. I cannot wait to bring you more exciting content in the future. Stay tuned and keep exploring the world of podcasts with the Global Quick Influence. Mm-hmm.